Pastor Xavier Reese says hope in a false sense of security ultimately is a primary source of destruction. Listen to Revelation 22:17. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the waters of life freely. You are not forced to go to heaven. You have all the right to go to hell. But you really don't have to go there. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The Word of God reminds us in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, The soul who sins shall die. And Daniel chapter 5 is an amazing commentary on that very truth. Many may ignore the voice of God crying through His Word down through the centuries, but we need to grasp hold of this powerful simple truth. Eternal judgment will be the final result. And as Pastor Xavier resumes a study of chapter 5 in the book of Daniel, we'll witness such an outcome in the contrast between Daniel, who fears God and walks with him, compared with the prideful and foolish Babylonian kings. Let's listen. Daniel chapter 5, verse 10 through 13 is our text. The date is 539 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar has been dead for 23 years, and Jeremiah's prophecy of judgment on Babylon is about to be fulfilled. Jeremiah 25, 12 says, Then it will come to pass, when 70 years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, says the Lord Yahweh, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. And he said this when Babylon was a great empire. But it's here. The day is here. The scene is a drunken feast Belshazzar was having for his thousands of lords, and yes, he continues to drink. He uh, asked for those vessels of Nebuchadnezzar brought forth from the temple to be brought to celebrate a drunken orgy. In verse 1 down through 10, God was who reigns in the heavens, as we've seen, and sets whoever he wills upon the thrones on earth and removes them, then caught the attention of Belshazzar. Belshazzar saw the hand of God right up opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall in his palace, pronouncing his death and the fall of Babylon. His thoughts were troubled. Fear gripped him. He immediately commanded for the astrologers to come, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers to interpret. Whoever could read it would be rewarded, made the third ruler of the kingdom. But no one was able to do that. So Belshazzar is greatly troubled and his lords astonished. All this was going on inside the walls of Babylon as the Medo-Persian empires are outside the wall of Babylon surrounding the kingdom. The recommendation of the queen to bring Daniel comes first. The queen came to the aid of the king. How interesting. Verse 11, the queen knew about a man that could read the writing. Now she informed them, still in verse 11, that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had put Daniel as the head of all these wise men, chief of the musicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, the soothsayers. She advised the king that based on his proven qualifications, it would be a good idea for him to call Daniel. (laughs) Daniel knows exactly what's going on. The king doesn't have a clue. The questioning asked, by the king was if he was that particular Daniel. This is crisis time, okay? You want to make sure you have the right guy. Belshazzar declared the problem at hand. 
He confessed to Daniel the inability of his wise men to read the writing. So the king was promising a reward to Daniel if he could decipher the writing. If you read the writing, make it known to me, its interpretation, you'll be clothed with purple, chain of gold, declared to be the third ruler of the kingdom. Notice, secondly, comes the castigation of Belshazzar by Daniel. In 17-21, the rebuke of the king by Daniel was for not learning what his grandfather's rebellion had brought upon him in defying God. He's going to school him right now in history. He disdained the reward, knowing there would be no kingdom tomorrow. You think you're offering me some? Dude, you're dead tonight. And in 2021, Daniel reminded the king he was accountable for knowing God had humbled his grandfather. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. What a contrast now between he and his grandfather. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. You've glorified yourself. You must think you're God. What you're going to find out at the end of this night, who God is. Wow. Then the finger of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. Wow. The castigation of Belshazzar by Daniel was by the hand of God. Notice third and last, the interpretation of the writing by Daniel. In 25 through 29, the pronouncement of God's judgment from the words of Daniel come. Daniel first read the writing in the plaster. And it is an inscription that was written, mini, mini, tekel, ufarsin. This is interpretation of each word, mini. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Now, all the letters were just consonants, no vowels in between. You had to know the language to know the vowels that were in between. This is why you have, when the New Testament says, every tittle and yod, it means it marks it as you know what vowel to put in because they're all consonants, okay? Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And you know Lady Justice has the balances, right? Blindfolded to not give favor. The balances are to be dependent upon evidence, and truth, press. Hey, a Mexican. <laughs> Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Listen to Isaiah and some of the other prophets. Isaiah 45, 1. Call Cyrus by name, my shepherd, my anointed, 150 years before this day, that he would be the one that would walk into Babylon through the levee gates and he did it through deflecting the Euphrates River. By name, 150 years, God says the gates will be unlocked. Now, this is exactly what happened when Cyrus deflected the river. In fact, Herodotus, the historian, wrote about Cyrus this, quote, He brought his siege of Babylon to the successful conclusion by temporarily diverting the, the course of the Euphrates, the city's western defense, during the nocturnal festival. Now, there are other historians that give an account, such as Barosus and Flavius Josephus and all those and others, and sometimes they, they conflict with one another and they have different things, but you've got to understand this. This is very simple, very clear. 
You do not judge the history of the Bible by the secular history of man. Because men that report on history are using other sources, and they don't always have all the correct sources, all the sources, or even true sources. And they have to do the homework on other people's homework. So you always judge man's history by the history of the Bible. Okay? This is accurate. Everything else is either confirms the Bible or supplements it in some way, but we only believe what the Bible says. Jeremiah 51, 39-40. Listen carefully. Look what he said about Babylon. In their excitement, I will prepare their feast. I will make them drunk that they may rejoice and sleep a perpetual sleep and not awake, says the Lord Yahweh. I will bring them down like lambs to the slaughter, like rams, male goats. Wow. Jeremiah 51, 39-40. When Babylon was a great empire. He said this. In fact, in Isaiah or, or Jeremiah 51, 59 through 64, listen carefully. Jeremiah prophesies, he commanded Sariah, the son of Neriah, of Messiah. Then when he went to Zedekiah, the king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. He says, and Sariah was the quartermaster. So Jeremiah wrote in the book all the evils that would come upon Babylon. All these words that were written against Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, so they were going to go to Babylon. This is when Jeremiah is preaching, okay? He says, when you arrive in Babylon and see it, I want you to read all these words. Then you shall say, O Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off so that none, of, none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. Now it shall be when you have finished reading this book, you shall tie a stone in it, throw it into the Euphrates River. Then you shall say, Thus Babylon shall sink and not rise from the catastrophe that I will bring upon it, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Do you know how ridiculous this was? Jeremiah sends this guy. He goes there. This is Babylon. They're powerful. And he declares a big speech. He gets this, the, the scroll, and he puts the rock on, throws it to the, to the Euphrates. And Sariah says, this is what's going to happen to you guys that are so powerful right now. Do you think they took him serious? He laughed at him. Belshazzar's not laughing now. God is exact. Daniel was rewarded for reading the interpretation of the writing on the plaster of the wall. Despite the judgment, the king kept his word. He gave a command. Daniel would be clothed, purple, chain of gold. Proclamation, he's the third in the kingdom. Ruler. Wow. The fulfillment of God's announcement according to his word finishes the chapter 30 and 31. In 30, Babylon fell that night. Listen, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. Belshazzar, like his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar, had hardened his heart, listen, beyond repentance. That's pretty scary. Much debate regarding the authenticity of Daniel was based upon the fact that no historian ever named Belshazzar as the last king until Sir Robert Rollins, the archaeologist, discovered the clay cylinder naming Belshazzar as the oldest son of Nabonidus, the Nabonidus cylinder. In 1853, an inscription was discovered on the cornerstone of one of the temples built by Nabonidus. It says, quote, May reverence for thee, meaning his God, dwell in the heart of Belshazzar, my firstborn favorite son. But let me ask you something, Christian. If this had never been found, would you believe the record of the scriptures? 
I don't need any physical evidence to believe the word of God. I don't care if they ever discover anything. I know what God's done in my life. All I need is the word of God. That's an important question for you. Are you a Christian that's always looking for evidence? Nothing wrong for evidence to minister to non-believers, but if you're using it for your own belief, then maybe you're a pancake half done. You need to consider that. The word of God is so accurate. Jeremiah tells us that the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar would be the last king 150 years before. Listen, Jeremiah 27, 6 or 7. He says, So all nations shall serve him, Nebuchadnezzar, and his son, and his son's son, until the time of his land comes. And then many nations and great kings shall make him serve them. Wow. Now, that should impress us. For God's no big deal. That should impress us. Nebuchadnezzar did not have a bloodline to Nebuchadnezzar. As I said, he most likely married Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, uh, Nitocris. And uh, Belshazzar then was of the royal line. Nebuchadnezzar lived for 14 to 17 years, or 14 of the 17 years, in Timna, the city of Arabia, while Belshazzar was co-reaching king in Babylon. Now, the higher critics, people in, in, in seminaries and stuff like that, they mocked it. They say, oh, there's errors in the Bible. This is one of the great ammunitions that people in the secular world use, that even Christian scholars say there's errors in the Bible. Well, not, not, not real scholars, not real Christians. Humanistic Christians are, or whatever else label you want to put them. Medo-Persia conquered Babylon. Verse 31. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. The dream real in the time of the Gentiles had come to pass. According to God, the head of gold was history now. The arms of silver, shoulders of silver, second empire, Medo-Persia. The king was named Darius the Mede. Darius is believed to be a title, not so much a name. We're going to get into different Dariuses. The age 62 years old. And you know what? Daniel lived through all the kings of Babylon, except for Nabopolassar, the father of Nebuchadnezzar. But he knew of him. He reigned from 626 to 605. And then for 43 years, he knew Nebuchadnezzar, 605 to 562 B.C. Then Daniel saw his son, Evil Marduk, or Amel Marduk. There'll be different ways and in, in forms of the name because of the different languages. And he was on the throne for two years until he was assassinated by his brother-in-law, Nergal Galizer, or Nergal Sherezer, same person, 562 to 560 B.C. And by the way, he's the one that restored Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison in Jeremiah 52, 31 through 34. Daniel then saw the reign of Nergal Galizer, or Nergal Sherezer. Uh, Nergal protected the king is what he means, and he was Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law, and he reigned for four years from 560 to 556 B.C. And then Daniel saw Nergal-Galizer's uh, son, Labishi Marduk. So if you're going to have kids, here's some of the names you can look at. And he reigned for nine months until he was beaten to death. And then the successor was the usurper Nabonidus, the father of Belshazzar. I know it sounds confusing, but yeah, 556 B.C. Nabonidus then put Belshazzar as the second ruler while he was over in Arabia. That's why Daniel could be given the third position. So much for the critics. But what if we didn't have the evidence? 
would you believe that Daniel was offered the third legitimate position? See, that's very important for you to ask. Cyrus the Persian later on would give the proclamation 536 to 37 for the Jews to return under Zerubbabel. It's recorded in 2 Chronicles 36, Ezra 1, Isaiah 44, and so many other places. If you would speak to every person in hell right now, they would tell you that they know they could have gone to heaven, but they chose to go to hell by rejecting the gospel. Every one of them. Because nobody is enjoying hell. Now, we were in the world, we'd laugh, yeah, we're going to be in hell down there, JJ, you know, and all these guys, we're just going to crank and we're going to have a party. It's a party, but it's a bad party. <laughs> the sad story in life is that there will be more people lost than saved. Not because God didn't predestine them. Not because God rejected them. Not because God could not or would not forgive them of any certain sin. Not because they are more evil than others. But simply because they refuse to repent at the preaching of the gospel. It's that simple. Luke 16, 22 through 24, and he went through the city, speaking of Jesus, villages, teaching, sojourning toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter in and will not be able. The other gospels, one of them says, few there be that find it. I've told you often that if you're bumping elbows on the way to heaven, you're on the wrong road. That's the road to hell. Churches are crowded. Seminaries are crowded. But not everybody in church, in Bible colleges, or pastor conferences are going to go to heaven. The world does not want to hear what the Bible says about those who die without salvation. But God gives much detailed information about hell because it's a real place. He probably spoke more often about hell than anything else. And in Luke 17, he gives us the details of those people in torments who die apart from Christ, having no second opportunity. Jesus didn't threaten people with hell. He just warned them about hell because it's the ultimate place where people will be taken from to be cast in the lake of fire, Gehenna. And it would be better for you to enter into heaven without a hand, without an eye, so I qualify than to go to hell with two hands, two feet, or two eyes. Because it's a place where the fire never quenched nor the worm never dies. Now, people don't want to hear that. They say, you're cruel. And you guys call yourself loving? Let me tell you. If you've got cancer and I'm a doctor, and I tell you you got cancer, are you going to tell me I'm cruel? If you're driving like an idiot and the road ends a half a mile up the road and I'm trying to warn you, and you call me an idiot? But people think they've know all about death, never having died, all about eternity, being temporal, knowing everything, yet being sure of nothing. The judgment of the unbeliever is the white throne judgment after the thousand-year reign in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Jesus is the judge, listen, then I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth, the heavens fled away, and there was no place found for them. The judgment is for the lost sinner to confirm the absence of their name from the book of life to be judged. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open. Another book was open, the book of life. 
and the dead were judged according to the works by the things which were written in the books. He'll miss nothing. Every sinner that dies will stand before God. Listen to 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death, Hades delivered up the death who were in them, and they were judged each according to his works. Horrible words. Do you believe you can stand the judgment of God for everything you've done? Do you think you come up on top? If your answer is yes, I pray for you. You don't stand a chance unless you come through Jesus Christ. The last two things to be gas and to go hand are the lake of fires, death and Hades, the second death. The clarification for those who go to heaven is in verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Wow. Everybody's had an opportunity. No one's going to end there without an opportunity. Everybody ends there because of rejection. The good news is that God will do everything possible to reach every person before they die. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in it should not perish but have everlasting life. He died for the whole world. The Bible says it's a personal choice. Listen to Revelation twenty two seventeen, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him take the waters of life freely. You are not forced to go to heaven. You have all the right to go to hell. But you really don't have to go there. The Bible said God does not take joy and pleasure in the perishing of any soul. Listen to Ezekiel 18, 33. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? It's a rhetorical question. Only one answer. No. Says the Lord God. And not that he should turn from his ways and live? Yes. God will convict you, but he will not turn you. You must make that decision to come to him. If you're willing... He is able, but you have to be willing, agreeing with him you're a sinner, and that he alone can save you and justify you in Christ. The interpretation of the writing by Daniel was by the hand of God. Man, what a historical event. Maybe you'll look at this chapter a little different next time you read it. (laughs) The solution of Belshazzar to understand the writing on the wall has unfolded for us in this threefold movement. The recommendation of the queen to bring Daniel was the hand of God. The castigation of Belshazzar by Daniel was also the hand of God. And the interpretation of the writing by Daniel was definitely the hand of God. You see, it's all about God, ladies and gentlemen. It's not about us. The world says it's all about you. No, you're the problem. The middle letter of sin is I. Maybe the Mexican says I, I, I. I'm the problem. God can only fix me. I can't fix myself. I don't know what I'm doing. But the world says, oh, you can do it. It's in you. Dig deep. Really? The deeper you dig, the uglier it gets. God help us. I hope you're not Belshazzar. I hope you're Nebuchadnezzar. 
humbling yourself before God. Pastor Xavier Reese, concluding with some practical steps for applying the lessons learned by King Belshazzar while finding sufficiency in the Lord Jesus Christ. And today's study, simply titled, God Judge Belshazzar, is available on CD upon request for just $4. Having your own copy allows you to review the study again at your own pace. And by the way, we'll be able to include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is, God Judge Belshazzar, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then be back for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com